welcome to the AccuSprout Podcast, where it's my mission to help new practitioners of Chinese medicine navigate from school to career. I'm Stacy. I'm an acupuncturist and herbalist, podcaster, coach, and creator of Magical Networks. Be sure to check out all four pillars of the podcast where I cover case studies to sharpen your clinical skills, Mindset Mondays to support your mental health, new practitioner interviews to prove that you are not alone, and all things business from launching your practice to negotiating your pay if you choose to be an employee. This podcast is made possible by our sponsors. So if you would like to support the podcast, be sure to check out the sponsors page on the website to claim your special AccuSprout offers. When I first started my practice, I was actually kind of a disaster when it came to my books. I hired an accountant who actually laundered money from another client. So I went on a quest to find a bookkeeper who really tailors to and loves working with acupuncturists. And I found Sarah at Horizon West Bookkeeping, and I'm feeling pretty fortunate. Sarah offers acupuncturists and the AccuSprout community a couple different packages so that she can meet you where you are. If you're new to practice, she can come in and do what's called a QuickBooks startup package for you, where you get pretty deep discounts on QuickBooks for about four months. She sets up your chart of accounts, assists with linking your bank accounts, makes sure that all the transactions are imported, and then teaches you how to use it with two hours of one-on-one training. It's a killer deal. She also offers cleanup packages and catch-up packages. Not catch-up packages, guys. Catch-up packages. And a monthly package, which is what I use. And I find it quite affordable and so, so, so worth it because, honestly, I never, since the beginning, have been able to keep up with my bookkeeping. You can schedule a free 15-minute consultation with Sarah to make sure that you guys are the right fit for each other. And you can do that at horizonwestbookkeeping.com forward slash AccuSprout or look for the link in the show notes. Today's episode is also sponsored by Jane, an all-in-one practice management software with helpful features to power your acupuncture practice. Jane offers flexible scheduling options that match the way you work. You have the option of offering one-on-one online sessions for initial consults, meeting in person, and scheduling staggered appointments to accommodate treating patients across different treatment rooms. Jane has you covered. Keep the relaxation going with a seamless checkout experience using Jane's PCI-compliant payment solution, Jane Payments. You can collect patient credit cards securely through your intake form or at the time of booking with an online booking payment policy. This can also help reduce no-shows in your practice. It's a win-win. And Jane's unlimited SMS and email reminders can be sent automatically before each appointment as an extra layer of no-show protection. To learn more about how Jane's helpful features can help you power your acupuncture practice, head to jane.app to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their team. Or if you're ready to get started, head on over to accusprout.com forward slash Jane. And remember to use the code accusprout1mo at the time of sign up to get a one-month grace period applied to your new account. So really, as a new practitioner, the goal is to create a relationship where the patient has recovered or is recovering from their chief complaint. They refer their friends and family to you and they come back to get treatment as needed. The higher your retention rate, the better it is for your practice. That's because patient retention and practice profitability are linked. 
Hey Sprouts, welcome back to the show. In today's episode, I'm going to talk about the biggest mistakes that I see newbies making with regards to patient retention that keeps you from gaining any traction. No matter what type of marketing you do, how much you spend on advertising, if you cannot keep your patients committed to a treatment plan long enough to get well, then you are spinning your wheels. When we're new practitioners, we tend to hold on to ideas of how things should work, but we're often coming at things with the perspective of scarcity and fear. So before I start this episode, I want you to take an honest look at your internal compass. Are you feeling scared? Not sure how you're going to pay the bills? Maybe you have funds to float your practice for a certain amount of time, but then what? Or conversely, maybe you've been at this for a couple of years and you're still struggling. And it's not really about the money for you, but you're still struggling. So not only do many of us suffer from imposter syndrome, perfectionism, and blah, 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 but we also are lacking in solid business skills with which to build a practice. Now, while I firmly believe that the learning is in the doing, life experience has taught me that hiring the right person or people who know how to get from point A to point Z is often the quickest and most painless way to learn something. I learned how to ski when I was 35. My boyfriend kept beg- begging me to learn so I could ski with him. And I honestly, I didn't really want to because I'd already wrecked my body mountain biking. <laughs> and so, so what I had learned through mountain biking was, you know, it's much better to hire somebody to teach you how to ride properly than it is to fall off the bike and break yourself 17,000 times and have surgeries and all the things. So with skiing, I was like, nope not doing it. And then finally, I was like, okay, fine, I'm doing it. But I am going to have teachers for until I can do it comfortably. And we are paying for instruction. And so that's what we did. I can tell you the truth. Um, I learned how to ski so fast because of this. And also, I did not destroy my body. This is really honestly, no different. I, I am seeing classmates of mine, we graduated about five years ago, still struggling with this. And um. Also, like hiring people that aren't quite the right fit. I highly suggest that you interview people. I've had people interview me and choose other coaches. And I'm great with that because obviously it's just like your patients. You want to go where you jive. You want to create a partnership that's going to create uh, success. So getting the right help during this transitional period can save you so much time, energy, and money. It can save you from the black hole of insecurity and constant questioning of, am I doing this right? Getting help provides the runway, the foundation, the tilling of the soil so that everything you do in the future has a chance to thrive. The right help can provide you the space to learn and create on your own while also keeping you focused and on the path. And if you listen to the episode with Reagan, who was a new practitioner, was one of my friends and classmates, uh, she's, she calls this holding my balloon strings, which I love. <laughs> I really love that because sometimes we can get a little excited and chase the bright and shiny. It's really nice to have a support system there to be like, mm, stick with this idea for a while. Make this succeed. Lastly, the right help can feel like a group hug. I know that sounds cheesy, but it's true. It's really, really nice to feel like you have a sense of belonging somewhere, a space that's safe, where silly mistakes are not disasters, nor are they embarrassing. They are small little stumbles over the stepping stones. They are moments of imbalance as you learn to navigate this new experience. They are the snapshots, the memories that you will hold five years from now 
when you look back at how far you've come. So these are the opportunities for pause, for making the choice to be gentle with yourself as you learn these new things so that you can be gentle with your patients as they also navigate the balance and newness of their journey. This struggle out of school is is real, guys. It's real. And I don't think that it's talked about enough, but I really, I really want you to know that like, dude, I got you. <laughs> <laughs> so today I'm going to address the three most important factors to consider with regards to patient retention. And you'll want to listen to the end because I'm also going to give my top five secrets to building relationships and retaining patients. So here's the scenario that I see very often. Trudy schedules a new patient exam. So Trudy is a new patient. Devin, a new practitioner, greets the patient, does the intake, does the acupuncture, collects the money done. Trudy doesn't reschedule and walks out the door. Devin didn't try to reschedule Trudy because they didn't want to seem pushy and is assuming that if Trudy wants to get better, she'll schedule. I mean, Devin explained the treatment plan and how this works. Or did they? Devin watches the schedule for days, waiting for Trudy to schedule. Devin looks at their empty schedule and is frustrated and cornered again into how to get new patients on the schedule. Why is their marketing failing? <laughs> then comes the insecurity of, did I help? Did I do enough? Why didn't they reschedule? So weeks gone by. And now what? Should Devin call the patient and see how it went? Should Devin try to get them rescheduled? Doesn't that seem cheesy and pushy? Shouldn't patients want to come back? What if they say they don't want to come back? Like what if Devin calls and they say they don't want to come back? Then what does Devin do? I cannot tell you how many times that I've asked a practitioner if they scheduled the patient for the whole treatment plan before they walked out the door on that first visit and they said, no, that feels pushy. I tell them they can schedule with me online. Do you guys, oh my God, do you guys realize that you could have had at least six patient visits on your books? Like, let's flip this for a second. Do you realize that by the time someone has made it to their first appointment, they might have potentially worked through a huge anxiety of needles. They might have worked through the colossal feat of finally asking for help, the courage to try non-Western medicine, even though their partner or their parent or their best friend rolled their eyes when they first brought up the topic. They decided to give this a shot and trust you to explain what is next, to step up to the plate and make sure that their money and time are well spent. That means creating a treatment plan, explaining the treatment plan, and asking the patient to commit to the treatment plan, and then actually scheduling them for the treatment plan. You are not selling them something that they do not want. You are providing them a service that they asked for purely by scheduling that first appointment. Now, before I go any further, I feel like it's really important to define patient retention. So patient retention is a practice's ability to turn new patients into loyal patients. Patient retention is measured as a percentage, which you can calculate by dividing the number of returning patients by the total number of patients of your practice minus the number of new patients. That's for you math nerds. So if, if you want an average, air quotes here, an average practice, then you would shoot for 48%. But really, we're getting ahead of ourselves because you probably haven't even been in practice long enough to have enough numbers to play that game. 
So really, as a new practitioner, the goal is to create a relationship where the patient has recovered or is recovering from their chief complaint. They refer their friends and family to you and they come back to get treatment as needed. The higher your retention rate, the better it is for your practice. That's because patient retention and practice profitability are linked. Another important factor to consider there is it's so, so, so much easier to keep a patient. It takes five times the money and energy to get a new patient. That's why patient retention and practice profitability are linked. So like I said, I'm going to address the three most important factors to consider with regards to patient retention. First of all, let's take a look at you. Yes, you. So if you've been listening a while, you know that what prompted me to start this podcast was my own pain and suffering. I have business skills. And even though I have business skills, when I started my practice, it was awful. <laughs> it was so bad. And here's why. Like, I moved to a town where I didn't know anybody. Some of you already know this. Like, I didn't have community. I didn't have friends. I didn't have anything. I was in business one year and then COVID hit and I didn't have enough money in the bank to sustain staying in business. So anyway, that was my first year. But I did pretty good my first year. But it was hard. It was harder than I thought it would be. And I thought I would take off and I didn't. And then I stayed in that town for another couple of years because COVID and I started my practice again. I think like I took a year off and did the podcast, started the podcast, and then I went back to practicing again and starting up again. Anyway, where I'm going with this was ultimately I realized that I was not happy in this town. I did not feel like I fit even after five years. Didn't fit, didn't belong. In the meantime, I had practiced all of everything that I preach and I was growing. I got the space that I wanted and realized that while that was like my dream space, I, I didn't want it because life works that way. And your first five years out sometimes are kind of a shit show. You think you want to do something, you go try it and you don't like it. That's just what it is. So the first five years, you're just sort of not everybody because nobody, there is not an everybody situation. But most of us are just kind of learning as we go. We might work for somebody and try that and see that's not going to work or have conflicts, personality conflicts and move on or have spaces that we thought we liked and we hate, or it's just part of the curve. But around year five, things should start clicking, not should. Things might start clicking for you. And that is what happened to me. I moved and then every single thing clicked. And all of my efforts were not wasted because everything I'm doing now is working. So that brings me back to what I wanted to say. I want to look at you. Let's take a look at you. I've also had other practitioners, new practitioners reach out to me and say, hey, I don't really want to be where I'm at right now, but I don't really want to move right now. And so I'm going to start a practice here. And I'm like, mm, okay, you go learn that lesson because that's, that might not work. It might take off, but you know, if your energy is not in it, it's, it's going to be tough. But anyway, my question is, are you in the right place? Are you in the right place? I was really hard on myself. I blamed myself a lot. And now that I'm out of there, I'm like, oh, no, I was in the wrong place. So the saying is, when a flower doesn't bloom, you fix the environment in which it grows, not the flower. And so I just needed more sunshine, y'all. 
it's possible that you're not in the right place. Maybe you're not in the right town or you chose an office space that's not quite right or you're surrounded by people that aren't really conducive to helping you get started or take a look at you first. Don't Not in a blaming way, just as an honest evaluation of what's going on. So going from school to practicing is a process. We are trying new things on like location styles, types of employment, styles of treatment, and sometimes it just takes time. So it may just be that even though you have done more things right than wrong, you are simply in the wrong place or the situation. And I did this. I have a list of fellow graduate friends who started practicing in 2018 who are just now finding their right soil and sunshine. Sometimes, most of the time, it takes time. But while you are in the wrong soil or not getting the right amount of sun, you can still be learning and trying to grow because when you finally get the right conditions, you will know what to do to grow. And oh man, will you ever bloom. Okay. Next, we need to make sure there are no barriers to entry. Remember, we're talking about patient retention. No barriers to entry. So there are so many ways to retain or off-put a patient. Here is the biggest flow flaw that I see new practitioners making. Are there barriers to an easy entry? Here are some things that you need to consider. How is your parking? Do you have crappy parking? Because if you're doing crappy parking and you have orthopedic patients coming to see you, that's hard. And I realize that in some cities like Portland's really, I went to school in Portland's really hard to find parking. So something to think about there. Please make sure that your online booking is not confusing. I'm coaching an individual right now, and they had two ways to book on their landing page and on their website, and they had multiple ways to book on their social media, and it was confusing. This is super low-hanging fruit. You know Jane is my sponsor. You know that you can get a discount Go to accusprout.com forward slash Jane to see what kind of discount. If you're a new practitioner, they have what's called help the helper rate. Yes, I am doing a plug here, but I also am not being paid for it. I think Jane is awesome and they're trying to help you. They will decrease your rate in the beginning until you have a certain amount of patience. So go check it out. Please make it easy for people to schedule with you. There you go. Uh, make sure your Google is accurate. I moved a couple times and Google did not follow me quickly enough. So I had a couple times where patients went to the wrong location because the Google map hadn't updated quickly enough. So you need to know what Google's doing, whether or not it's accurate, when it's accurate. Make sure everything is up to date on Google because it will bite you in the ass. The other one is social media. Let's make sure that your social media, if you're trying to book people through social media, that your links go to Jane or your links go directly to your website. Don't use other weird social media things. And if they're asking you to use weird social media things on Meta or whatever, then just put your website because people are smart enough to click on your website. And if they're, yeah, I, I'm not going any further than that. Oh, gosh. Okay. So you've got to return phone calls and emails. And I mean, like, as fast as you can. People make phone calls still, occasionally. And those people, you need to talk to them on the phone. And then people who email you, you need to either call them or email them. It's important. I don't know if I really need to say this, but we need to really touch base with our patients and ask them how they communicate best. Or we need to draw a boundary and tell our patients and new people coming to us how we communicate, how best we can communicate. 
If you don't have a service, if nobody's answering your phone, make sure that your message gives your email address. Let them know that you will try to call them back by the end of the business day or please give me 24 hours to respond. Um, if you would rather send me an email, send me the email here. Please be very good at communicating because if somebody's in level eight pain and they're shopping around for an acupuncturist, they're really, they're not going to sit around and wait for you to call them back. So you need to do it quickly. Ah, Okay. Your hours. It's two things I want to say about your hours. So list your hours that you're available. Um, once again, Jane does a really cool thing where you can make your schedule look busy. So as a new practitioner, obviously, when people open up your schedule, it's going to be wide open, which then they'll be like, oh, maybe not. <laughs> So you want to have slots in there that are taken. And then I love it because Jane also says when people are scheduling, hey, if you don't see an appointment slot available that you need, please give us a phone call. Once again, answer your phone or return those phone calls. But I really like that option of locking out your schedule and making it look modeled, so modeled, M-O-T-T-L-E-D, so that um, people think you're busy. The last one is accessibility. Really pay attention to who your people are. I have stairs right now. I'm not excited about it, but I don't expect to be there for that long. So do what you have to, but also know that that's a barrier to entry. Lastly, and this isn't least, let me tell you, touch points. This is a whole entire topic on its own. It's touch points are how you make contact, how you connect with your patient, what their impressions are of the process. It is how many times can you remind them that you are there to be helpful to them and also what you do and what your branding is. So you really need to take a look at what does your patient experience look like? What is their first impression? What does your website look like? What's above the fold on your website? And if you don't know what I'm talking about, then I'm guessing it's not great. I did a, an episode on, I think it's the five pages you must have on your acupuncture website. So that's a good resource for your website. And what does your social media like? Are you offering a 15-minute free consultation? Is your online booking sending reminder texts? And what does that look like? Have you sent out an introductory hello, welcome to the practice email sequence? Um, go sit in your waiting room. See how much fun that is. And whether it's relaxing or loud or too close to other people or smelly or what is it like to be in your waiting room? Did you communicate with them on a personal level? So these are all touch points. Did you communicate with them on a personal level? You can send them a welcome email after their, they schedule their appointment with some things that they might expect on the first visit, or you already had like that first consultation visit where you talked about what to expect in the practice or on the first visit. How well do you listen during the initial eval? Are you connecting with them as a person? And what is that experience like? Do you offer them tea or water? Do you have a place for their coat or their purse? How well are you reading their body language? Are they afraid, tired, excited, in pain, hungry? Is your office cold, noisy, sparse, and clinical? Or is the lighting dimmed a little? Is the chair comfortable? Is the table warm? Are there tissues for the tears? Is there a garbage receptacle for gum and coffee cups? Are you using table paper or sheets? Here's one. Is your office weird? I am so serious about this. <laughs> is your office weird? I've seen some really weird offices out there, guys. And if it is, 
that's fine if it matches the type of patient walking through the door. But my question to you, is it done well? Um, if it gets a little bizarre, then you might you might change some things because that might be it. Um, are you teaching as you do things? And have you prepped your patient for this visit? Have you answered all of their questions and addressed all of their concerns? Did you do a full consent verbally and written? If you did all of these things, then they should be expecting you to get them scheduled. So we're going to go back to where I was earlier. Because you prepared them multiple times along the way. Here is where you may have done this along the way. When you had your free 15-minute consult, you explained that acupuncture is not a one-time thing, that depending on the condition, chronic or acute, and also about the patient's health and constitution, as well as lifestyle choices, it could be six visits or it could be three months. When you do the initial eval, so now we're on to the initial eval, you decide on a treatment plan and express this treatment plan to the patient. Does this sound like something that you can commit to? They're expecting this because you already told them in the consultation that this was part of the plan. Then at the time of payment, you get them scheduled for those first six visits. And they know that on visit six, you will do an, a reevaluation based on how they're doing. And this may not be six. This is an example. On how they were doing, you may suggest either continuing or spacing things out, or maybe they'll even be released. It just depends on how they respond to treatment. Once again, they expect this. If you don't schedule them for those visits, they will wonder why. They may feel like you are rejecting them as a patient. And honestly, it's actually weird. It's weird, you guys, if you don't do it. So yes, it feels hella awkward if you've never done it. And maybe you need help in the form of some scripts until you can make it yours. But with practice, it's just a part of the process and it works. Commitment to a treatment plan is the first step to helping a patient get better. Know what happens when you really create a great patient process? People get better and they tell other people like them. And then you have more patients come in that you didn't have to fish for on Instagram. So this is just seriously one small way to retain a patient. Before I go, I just want to give you a bonus. Here are my five ways of connecting with my patients and making the experience more personal. Number one, I always remember one special thing and then remember on the next visit to ask them about that. So maybe on the first visit, they mentioned a race that they had entered and they were super excited about it. I would actually note the date of the race. And as we go through, as I'm treating them, I might ask them how training is going, how things are going. Or if they already had the race, I'd be like, how was the race? And they'd be like, what? You knew about the race? And I'd be like, of course, you mentioned it on your first visit. Or maybe it's a vacation with the grandkids. Whatever it is, you get the gist. Number two, follow up. Follow up that first visit with a phone call or an email. Check in with people. See how they're doing. If people are totally new, some people get a little bit freaked out about being relaxed. They don't even understand what feeling relaxed feels like. Check in with them. Number three, when I have them in the first consultation and I'm explaining to them how acupuncture works, how we create a treatment plan and then stick to it, I tell them that I don't want to keep them in my practice. Did you hear me? 
I tell them that I do not want to keep them in my practice. I want them out there as quickly as possible because I want them out there telling everybody how good they feel because they had acupuncture from me. So I get them out there as quick as I can, but ultimately it's up to them and sticking to the treatment plan and whatever their body does. But I do let them know, like, I don't want to keep you. I know we just put down six treatments, but if you're a hundred percent better after four, good golly, go tell everybody about it, please. (laughs) I mean, I do tell them that, like, I don't want you in here. I want you out there being happy. Number four, put them on your email list. And of course, we'll talk about email lists and newsletters and special events and things you can do with that. But that is another touch point. Say somebody's better and they haven't seen you in six months and you put out a newsletter talking about seasonal allergies and spring hit and they're dying of seasonal allergies. They'll come see you. Those are touch points, how people come in. Number five, as soon as they turn the corner and are raving about how amazing they feel. So you start treating them, one, two, three treatments in, people are still pretty skeptical. Treatment four, finally things just go kaboom and shift. They come in and they're just raving about how amazing they feel. That is the day that I ask for their help. I ask them for a Google review or a testimonial that I can use on the website or social media and be sure to email them detailed instructions, of course, they'll say yes, because people love to help. They will forget. So it's okay. After a couple weeks, if they didn't do it, you can just go, hey, remember, especially if they're just still happy and doing great, they need reminders. And of course, I keep it HIPAA compliant. So how does that build retention? Because you're asking for help to people who are natural helpers. That's a huge gift. People love it. So here's number six because for some reason I couldn't keep it to five. Um, You'll eventually have a handful of patients who basically tell everybody, and those patients will fill your practice. It's the 80-20 rule, like 20% of your patients fill your practice. So I usually, and this is dependent on state laws, I send a thank you card. And if state law allows it, I might send like a gift certificate for coffee. Like some states, it's you can send a little thank you if it's under $5 or whatever. And some states, you cannot do that. You can just send a thank you card. You can just do an extra 15 minutes of cupping, but you have to be careful because if that's insurance-based, blah, blah, blah. You see where I'm going? Just be legal about it, please. But send a thank you card. Um, and of course, don't tell them who came in because that's breaking HIPAA. Just thank them for their continued support and tell them that one more person came in and that you are so grateful for the opportunity to help yet another person. So this barely touches on patient retention, but hopefully, like, I don't want you guys like drinking from a fire hose. Hopefully this was enough to get you thinking a little bit about where you can tune up your process and do a better job. Because If you can retain your patients, you won't have to work as hard to get new patients in. Those patients will tell people. And so if you're introverted, give the best damn customer service and be so incredibly attentive and just do a bang up job with this and people will go talk about you and you will not have to worry about going out there to do your marketing. So um, anyway... I love it when you guys shoot me messages. You can do that at email at hello at accusprout.com. So thanks again. Thanks for listening. Until next time. That's it. That's the end of the show. 
Thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate you guys. And if you appreciate this podcast, it would be amazing if you could head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a great review. And if you don't like what I'm doing, then that's okay. No worries. Just skip it.